episode of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm John Mark DeRoe, and I'm here with my good friend Jonathan Hafes. It is a Thursday afternoon. It's sunny outside. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling good. Yeah, we're sans one Brad Brown. That's right. We're missing one. <laughs> yeah, and it's odd that we're actually doing this on a Thursday afternoon. We just recorded an episode the other day, right. earlier this week. Right. But the reason we're doing this is because uh, John Mark and I are both going to be out of town next week or yeah. on vacation. And uh, yeah, Brad is going to be left here all alone. He's going to be by himself. Which he has abandoned us this week. Right. He's on vacation. He's, he's gone right now. He's gallivanting off somewhere doing... Being irresponsible, know, I'm sure. I'm certain of it. But so, but wh- while he's away, John Mark and I, we both possess the ability and the know-how to, to yeah. get one of these episodes done. Yeah, the intellectual prowess yes. that How, it takes. However, when Brad is here by himself next week, he... Uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah, he lacks that ability. So we figured right. th- there would not be a new episode of Shades Midweek. If, if we left it up to Brad, it uh, would not happen. It wouldn't. It just so, wouldn't happen. So, But, alas, you're not really truly getting <laughs> a new episode of Shades Midweek with us either. Right. We've we've used up all of our energy on the previous episode. It's true. So Yeah, kind of look at this as more of a greatest hits, if you will. <laughs> greatest hits. Oh, that's that's generous. <laughs> so so what we thought we would do um is an original idea that we've stolen from other podcasts. Right. Uh, we we thought that we would uh yeah, play an old sermon for you this week. What What do you have for us, Jonathan? Because well, I don't even know. Yeah, I'm coming do. into this. I have no idea. This could be anything. Well, it, and it's it's chosen with purpose. Okay, okay. It, it is chosen with purpose. So this is actually a sermon uh, that I preached in October of 2014. Okay, when I was the spry age of 30, <laughs> you were still in your 20s. Do you I remember was. those? Yes, I do remember my twenties <laughs> vaguely. We were so young. My birthday's next week, by the way. There, speaking of that, so happy birthday! Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you're going to you. be on vacation for your birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know who's not going to tell you happy birthday is Brad. Brad, <laughs> he'll probably forget. Anyway, um, so yeah, so we had we were just a couple of weeks into a series on the Book of Colossians. So this sermon comes from Colossians 1, uh, verse 24, through chapter 2 and verse 5. And the week before this sermon, we had talked a lot about the sovereignty and sufficiency of Christ. Uh, the, the, the series was called Christ is All. We're talking about how Christ is all you need. But the problem is, is often when we talk about Christ being sovereign over everything or sufficient in all things, which, which are two messages we really need, Right now. Right. God, are you sovereign over all that we're experiencing right now? And are you sufficient in the midst of this? Um, And so we had talked about those the week before, but it kind of stayed in theoretical theology land, if you will. And that, while needed and necessary to build that foundation, isn't helpful if you just leave it there. And we we need to know how does this work out in the nitty-gritty realities of our life. And that's what Paul does in this section of scripture, is he goes, let me show you how God is sovereign in 
in my life and how he's sufficient in my life in the most difficult place. And he takes us to his sufferings. And so Paul is laying out before us here in the hardest moments of my life and all of my sufferings and all of my strugglings. Let me show you the sovereignty and sufficiency of God in reality. That's the title of the sermon, Sovereignty and Sufficiency in Reality. And I, that's something my heart needs to be reminded of right For now. sure. And, uh, and so, yeah. So without further ado, here is a... Uh, a 30-year-old Jonathan. <laughs> Here's a sermon from October of 2014, uh, Sovereignty and Sufficiency in Reality. We are in Colossians chapter 1. One of my favorite hashtags that I use when posting pictures or videos of myself and Holly and my family uh, is, is this. We are horrible parents. I love to hashtag. Last week, I began... Uh, by showing you this picture that I had once posted on Facebook and Instagram. And it just, it kind of painted this unrealistic picture of my fatherhood, I felt like. You know, I was tossing Levi up in the air. He was in utter joy. And I just looked like father of the year. That's just not always the case. We like to be real here at Shades. So I thought, in all fairness, um, I would provide you with a sample of my, my photos and videos that are hashtagged, we are horrible parents. Typically, I use this hashtag when posting a, uh, a picture or a video of us scaring our children. And if I'm real honest, typically it's Karis, which really upsets everybody because Karis is everybody's favorite, and I understand that. But you got to know, she's the easiest kid I've got to scare. And she also gives the best reaction. For instance... We recently decided to help her get over her fear of vacuum cleaners um, through what's known as exposure therapy. And so, uh, do we have it? Can we play it? <laughs> Hashtag, we are horrible parents. And so, like, and we do this on occasion. We've done this for years, actually. My favorite one, actually, isn't even that one. My favorite one is from... Last Christmas, we were in Hobby Lobby, and my daughter, Karis, once again, she is afraid of all animatronic things. So any animal that moves, stuffed animal that moves on its own, and once again, just trying to help her get over her fear. And so this is Hobby Lobby from last Christmas. You don't want to hold it? Now... Before you judge us and I get emails and all this kind of fun stuff, there is a point to this, okay? We are lovingly, oh so caringly, uh, trying to help her conquer irrational fears. Um, she's afraid, like I said, of nearly every stuffed animal that moves on her own. And you got to understand, I can only tell her the truth so many times. I can only so many times tell her, uh, this thing, it's not going to hurt you. I can describe to her the mechanics of it, how it works. You can take the batteries out of it. It's not going to do anything at all. At some point, we've got to move from theory to reality. Like, it, like at some point, I've got to actually pick up the stuffed animal and I've got I to gotta show her. It doesn't hurt you. See, it doesn't hurt me. Like, I'm, I'm holding it. It's moving. I'm still Okay. But I've been telling you, it's not just a theory, it's reality. See it in my own life. This is exactly what Paul is going to do for us in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. He's going to take the truths that he's been showing us since the beginning of the letter, the truth that Christ is all. Christ is 
all you need. And he's going to say, let's bring that from theory down into reality. Let me show you how that plays out in the reality of my own life. Last week, as we walked through the Christ hymn of verses 20 to 25, Paul was just hammering home this beautiful theology, this beautiful truth of who Christ is. He's the sovereign God over all creation. And because he's sovereign over all creation, he's sufficient to sustain all of creation. Christ is the sovereign creator and sufficient sufficient sustainer. Therefore, he's your creator and he's sufficient to sustain you. Christ is all you need. When I say that phrase, Christ is all, the two truths I'm hammering home for you are Christ is sovereign and Christ is sufficient. They're related. They go together. He's sufficient because he's sovereign. He made all, so he sustains all. Christ made you and so he is all you need. Paul laid that out for us to show beautifully and now he wants to say that that's not just cool theology it's not just it's not just an intellectual theory it's a reality let me show you sovereignty and sufficiency in reality and to do that let me take you to the deepest darkest most difficult part of my life let's go straight into my sufferings you want to get real colosse you want to see if christ really is sovereign if he really is sufficient let's go to the most difficult place to see it let's go to my sufferings my struggles look at look at verse 24 i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh i'm filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church he goes to his sufferings look down to verse 29 he says for this i toil struggling I'm toiling i'm struggling the word for struggle there is agonizomai we got our word agony it's to fight it's to struggle i suffer with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Keep reading. Don't stop at the chapter breaks. Chapter breaks are horrible. Keep going. He tells us why. This is why I'm taking you to my struggles. Why I'm showing you my sufferings. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for all those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face. In order that. Here's why I'm taking you to my sufferings. Here's why I'm laying out my struggles. In order that your hearts may be encouraged, their hearts, the hearts of all those who've never met him face to face like Colossae. Colossae, I want to tell you about the sufferings inflicted upon me and about the struggles that take place within me in order to encourage your heart. Because that's how we all encourage each other, right? I want to encourage you, so let me just tell you about everything wrong in my life. All the ways I'm suffering, everything that's depressing to me, that's hurtful and harmful. And you will leave uplifted and encouraged, exhorted towards faith in Christ. This is Paul's logic seemingly on the surface. He believes, I tell you my sufferings, I tell you my struggles, and it's going to encourage your heart towards faith in Christ. Look at verse 2 again. I'm telling you, verse 2 of chapter 2. I'm telling you about my struggles in order that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. In other words, you as a church, y'all are all knit together in love. I'm telling all of you about this to encourage all of you to what? To encourage you that your hearts may be encouraged to reach 
all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossae, I want you to be encouraged that all you need is found in Jesus. All assurance, every ounce of security, every bit of wisdom, every bit of knowledge, all the treasures, all the resources that you can need in your life, they are hidden in Christ. He uses that word hidden on purpose. He's making fun of false teachers that are talking to the Colossians who are telling them all about hidden knowledge. Colossians is being faced by a culture and by false teachers that say, we have hidden knowledge that leads to a secure life full of joy. And all you have to do is follow our program. It doesn't include Christ. Follow our rules. Follow our way. Do the things that we tell you to do and you will have a secure life full of joy. Paul says, no. No, any hidden knowledge and wisdom that you need, all of it's in Christ. Look at verse 3 again, but let's keep reading. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Colossae, these false teachers, they're trying to delude you. And what they say, it sounds good. Plausible arguments, fine-sounding arguments. It sounds, it sounds right. It sounds like it would, would work, Shades. We experience the exact same thing in our culture. Our culture all the time will tell us that they have found the secret that you need in order to live a secure life full of joy. That's only every magazine cover ever. Ten easy steps to lose weight so you'll be happy. Ten Ten ways, ten things to do with your family so that you will have an awesome family life. Or what? Every magazine cover ever. You want a secure life, a life full of joy. We found the secret. They even use that word on the cover. We found, found the, the secret. And what they say, it sounds good. Plausible. Convinced it's a delusion. It's a lie. Everything that you need, everything that you need for a life that is secure, full of joy, is hidden. If it's hidden anywhere, it's hidden in, in Christ. Paul looks at Colossians and he says, I, I want you to continue in a rock-solid faith that Christ is all you need. Look at verse 5. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Colossae, you got a firm faith in Christ. These false teachers are trying to tempt you. Let, let me encourage you, Colossae. Let me encourage you to continue with Christ. Let me encourage you. He really is sovereign. He's sufficient. He's all that you need. Let me encourage you by showing you my sufferings. work. Paul's logic here is Colossae, if I can show you that Christ is all you need in suffering, if he's sufficient there, he's sufficient everywhere. If he's sovereign there, he's sovereign everywhere. If I can show you that Christ is all you need in suffering, then you can have rock solid faith that Christ is all you need in everything. Suffering is the very thing that these false teachers would likely point to and say, see Colossae, you're suffering. 
That means Jesus isn't really sovereign. He's not really in control. He'd be keeping you secure. It's insecurity. You're not safe. See, Colossae, you're suffering. Jesus isn't really sufficient to give you full joy. Suffering, joy can't be found in suffering. Suffering is the very place our world goes to in order to deny the sovereignty and sufficiency of Christ. And it's where we're tempted to go. When we suffer, we are tempted more than ever to question and deny, God, are you sovereign? Are you in control? Are you sufficient? Are you really all that, that I, I need? My family went through, is still going through, an inordinate amount of suffering since Easter, really. My extended family, which in turn obviously affects me and my wife and my, my kids. And it is a place where the sovereignty and the sufficiency of Christ could no longer remain a theory. Had has to become a reality. Suffering causes us to question and for some people even to deny Christ's sovereignty and sufficiency. Paul says that's backwards. It's backwards. Suffering does not deny the sovereignty and sufficiency of Christ. Paul says it reveals it. It reveals it. You can't see that he's sufficient anywhere else. It reveals him as sovereign. It reveals him as sufficient. Let me show you that, Colossae. Let me show you that in my own sufferings. Paul wants us to see these two things. Christ is sovereign and Christ is sufficient. Therefore, he's all we need in our suffering. He's all we need in everything. Let's look at these things one at a time. Y'all got the plan, where we're going. Into Paul's suffering. Light, easy stuff this morning. Charlotte's painting all in black. Light, easy. Okay? We want to see in Paul's suffering, is Christ really sovereign? Is he really sufficient? If you, what, what, how does that encourage our hearts? So here we go. Number one, see Christ's sovereignty over Paul's suffering. Christ's sovereignty over Paul's suffering. Look back again at verse 24. We did 2, 1 through 5. That's where he says, here's why I'm talking about my suffering is to encourage you. Let's go back and see how it's encouraging. Starting in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling. That's a confident statement. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. Paul starts this whole thing off really easy for us, doesn't he? I rejoice in my suffering. A verb, it's present tense, meaning it's an ongoing, continuous action. I am in a current state of continual rejoicing in. Not before my sufferings, not after they're over, in my sufferings. That statement gets more massive when you actually have a little bit of a picture of what Paul's sufferings are. It would be very easy to dismiss him if this was like a, a trite statement coming from a really young 30-year-old man who hasn't really experienced that much suffering in his life. It would be really easy to, to dismiss him, but this, this is coming from someone who has experienced more suffering than I can even possibly begin to imagine. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a sample list of his sufferings. 
And just so we're all aware, 2 Corinthians was written six to seven years before Colossians. In other words, since this list I'm about to read to you, he's had seven more years worth of suffering. Here's his sample list. I've had great labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Just feel the weight of all the physical suffering. And he gets to the end of that and he says the physical suffering is really not even the big deal. The big deal is the weight that I feel for the people of God. Paul looks at Colossae having that kind of a rap sheet. He looks at them and he says, currently under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He looks from that position with that past and he says, now I rejoice in my suffering. I just got two questions for Paul. Why and how? Why? Why in the world would you rejoice in all of this and in, in sufferings? And, and how? Even if there's a good reason, Paul, I don't know how you would do that. We already know the answers he's going to give. We just need him to explain them. Why would you rejoice in this suffering? He's going to tell us because Christ is sovereign. How would you rejoice in your sufferings? Because Christ is sufficient. See him explain it. Why? Why, Paul, are you rejoicing in your suffering? He tells us, verse 24 again, focus on it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And here's the why. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's Afflictions. Now, don't worry about what that phrase means for just a second. It's a complicated thing, highly debated. Just get the bigger picture of what he's saying. Why can Paul rejoice in his sufferings? Because I am. I'm doing something. My sufferings, they are doing something. They're filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. They're doing something. God is sovereign over my sufferings and he's sovereignly at work through them. He's accomplishing something. I don't know what it is just yet, but he's accomplishing something. Paul looks at his sufferings and he says, they aren't pointless. This, this pain, there's not a moment of my pain that's, that's wasted. God is sovereign over it and he's sovereignly working his purpose through it. God has called me into suffering and designed my suffering for a purpose. First Peter 419, let those who suffer according to God's will. According to God's will. Like I thought suffering was like from the devil. 
from Satan. And he just brings it into my life and wreaks, wreaks havoc. It's not from, it's not from God. There's nothing good about something. Paul says, I am able to rejoice because something good is happening here. God's sovereign over it. He's working his purposes through it. Now, the moment I say that God is sovereign over suffering, a million and one questions spring up in our minds, especially related to the suffering that you've experienced. Why would God, if God's sovereign, why would he allow this? Why would he do this? Why not another way? Why wouldn't he stop this? And I am not trying to make light of anyone's suffering in here. I'm trying to take you deep into the reality of who God is so that you've got a rock to stand on in the midst of your suffering. I don't want to make light. I want, I want to explore the, the weight. When we say God is sovereign over suffering, we get questions. Does suffering come from God? Does it come from Satan? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Paul helps us answer some of those questions. We are never given the answer to all of them. But he helps us answer some of those questions by describing one of the most, it's one of the places in Scripture where he most specifically describes a, an, an instance of his suffering. I love it. I go to it all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, I had these visions of heaven. They were amazing. They were awesome. And it tempted me. To become prideful or arrogant. And I was privileged. I got to peer into the mysteries of God himself. And so something happens to Paul. Second Corinthians 12 verse 7. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul does not have a naive view of suffering. Like if you felt that way through what we've talked about so far, oh, Jonathan, you're 30 years old. You haven't been through that much. You, you think that God is sovereignly working good through all your suffering. You don't know yet that there's just bad junk that happens and nothing good can come from it. Paul doesn't have a naive view of suffering. He's realistic about it. Listen to how he describes his suffering here in 2 Corinthians 12. He describes it as invasive. This thorn, it was given to me. I didn't ask for it. It just, it just invaded my life. Came in. It's invasive. It's torturous. It's a messenger from Satan to harass me. Satan is at work through this, trying to destroy my faith. It's invasive, it's torturous, it's relentless. Three times pleaded with God that he would take this, take this away. Have you ever been there? You're pleading. I, this past spring, I found myself on my face and in tears with my mother, with my father, pleading. Take it away. Suffering that was invasive, torturous, relentless. But that's not all Paul says about his suffering. He doesn't leave the picture just there. Listen to how he began. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Whose purpose is that? 
Who wants to keep Paul humble? It's God's purpose. God gave me this thorn to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me humble. I prayed. I asked him. I said, take it away. Three different times, take it away. And his answer came to me in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to leave it. Because when I leave it, you can't be conceited. You can't walk in your own power. you got to depend on me. you got to lean on me. It's got to be my grace. It's got to be my power. You've got to trust in me. Is this thorn from God or from Satan? Yes. Who's at work, God or Satan? Yes. In all of your suffering, Satan aims to destroy your faith, and it is evil, and he gets every ounce of credit for it. But he can't win. Because he's not sovereign over suffering. God is. And God moves to work in your suffering in a way that's for good. And for his glory. Satan would use this thorn to harass you, Paul. I will use it to keep you humble and reliant on my power. It's a good thing that God is sovereign over suffering. It causes questions, but it gives you hope. Gives you hope that your suffering doesn't win. It's not pointless. God can work in massive, incredible, powerful ways through it. God being sovereign over my suffering gives me hope. It may be invasive, but He is redemptive. It may be torturous, but He is healing. And it may seem relentless, but He has promised to bring it to an end. He can only do that if He's sovereign. The sovereignty of God is your and mine only hope in suffering. God is sovereign. I got some questions about suffering, but ultimately I've got a rock solid hope. Rock solid hope. This is, this is what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae. He's saying, I, I can rejoice in my suffering. Because God's sovereign over it. He's doing something good. What's he doing? He says, in my flesh, that is in my sufferings, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? I mean, like, there's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions, right? Don't you you know this, Paul? Like, you write a few things about that. About how Jesus, are you all awake? I know it's heavy, so I'm trying to make you laugh every now and then. I'm doing a terrible job. What? There's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So what does he mean? There's one other place in Paul's writings that I think give us a fuller picture of what's going on here. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It's in Philippians. The, ch- the church in Philippi had collected a gift for Paul, monetary gift most likely, and they sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take it to Paul. He's going to take a gift to him in Rome. And on the way, Epaphroditus gets sick and he almost dies in the process. Listen to how Paul describes what Epaphroditus did. Philippians 2 and verse 30. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. 
That word complete, same root word that we've got over here in Colossians, fill up. Epaphroditus filled up, completed what was lacking in your gift to me. What was lacking in the Philippians' gift to Paul? That Epaphroditus had to complete and fill up what he nearly died doing. Bringing the gift to Paul. Presenting it to Paul. There wasn't anything monetarily lacking in the gift. What was lacking was it being presented to the one to whom it was given. Likewise, there is not, I think that's what's going on here in Colossians 1. There's nothing lacking in the gift of Christ's afflictions. His death in the place of sinners. What's lacking is that gift being presented to sinners. Just like Epaphroditus had to complete what was lacking, had to bring the gift. Paul's saying, I complete what's lacking in Christ's affliction. I bring them. I present them. I make them known to the to the world. He does this in two ways. He does it through his words. That's exactly what he goes on to say in verse 25. Look at that. He says, Of the church I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me to make the word of God fully known. The mystery. What's the word of God? It's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, here's what I mean when I say I fill up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. I mean, I take a message to the world. I was commissioned to go to the world with this message. It was a mystery hidden for ages, but now it's been revealed through Christ. It's the gospel. He summarizes it like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I go to the nations and I present, there's hope. There's hope for you and that hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Christ died. He was afflicted in your place for your sins. Every amount of the wrath of God that should have been poured on me as a rebel against God was poured out on Christ. So that through faith in him, I can be reconnected to God. The gospel. Through faith in Him, I have Christ, Christ in me, and He's my hope for joy in Him now and joy forever. Christ in me, my hope, my joy now, and the hope of glory, the hope for forever. Paul says, this is how I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I take that gospel and I present it to those for whom it was given. I do it with my words. I preach it. I make fully known the word of God. But that's not the only way he makes it known. He does it. With his words. And secondly he does it. With his wounds. Verse 24 again. Rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh. In my actual. Sufferings. Not just with my words. But in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking. In my flesh. When I suffer. When I'm beat. When I'm imprisoned. When I'm stoned. When I'm whipped. I am presenting to you the afflictions of Christ. I'm showing you them in all of their worth, in all of their their love. In my wounds, Paul says, you see the worth of Christ. How? You can beat Paul. You can ridicule him. You can imprison him. You can take his freedom. You can take anything you want from him. And he keeps holding on to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is worth more. In my very wounds, I'm displaying to you the worth of Christ. 
He writes this in Philippians 3.8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You can take everything. I'm going to keep holding on to Christ. My wounds will show his worth. Wounds show, show the worth of Christ. I was, um, in 2010, I had the opportunity to be in India. Some of you have heard this story before. And... I was teaching in a small house church in a slum, and about halfway through, this woman walks in, and she converses with my translator for just a moment, who's a pastor, and he looks at me, and he says she wants to apologize. I thought she meant for coming in late or something like that, and I said, what does she want to apologize for? And he said, well, she can't stay for our whole meeting. She's going to have to get up. She's going to have to leave early because you see her husband's not a Christian. And anytime he finds out that she's been with other believers, he beats her. And she's lied to him. She's told him she went to a friend's house in order to borrow something to cook with, an ingredient she needed. And so she can't stay very long. And I just wanted to say, you don't have to apologize to me. Would you, would you come? Would you just sit here for just a minute and let me sit at your feet? And would you teach me about the worth of Jesus? Paul says, my wounds are filling up what's lacking in Christ. It's, it's displaying the worth of Jesus' afflictions to the world. It doesn't just display His worth. It displays His, his love. It, in Paul's wounds, people can catch a glimpse of what the love of Christ is like for them. It, Paul, with his words... Proclaims a Christ who loved you enough to suffer and die. And he doesn't leave that in theory up on the shelf. He takes it down into reality. With his wounds, he shows you a love where he is willing to suffer and die so that you may know Christ. His wounds match his words. With his words, he declares love. With his wounds, he demonstrates it. Perhaps, just, just perhaps, the lost might catch a glimpse of the Savior who loved them enough to suffer through a people who will love them enough to suffer. In our wounds, people see the worth of Christ. When you suffer... Relationally, with your difficult family trials, your health is lost in an instant. Death, someone close to you dies instantly. First time I ever spoke in front of a group to preach the gospel ever in my life, I was standing behind a box that held my 18-year-old friend. I was 17. When you, when you experience these things and you hold on to Jesus, you display His worth 
to the world. And when the world itself persecutes you and you hold on to Jesus and you keep pointing them to Jesus, you display his love in your wounds. You show the worth and the love of Christ's wounds. This is why Paul rejoices in his suffering. Because he has seen this reality play out over and over and over again. He's gone from city to city where he has suffered. And because of his suffering, people see Christ. They come to know Christ. He goes to another city. He suffers. A church is planted. He suffers in another city. The gospel keeps on spreading in his suffering. He sees God is. I've seen it happen enough that I know it's true. God is sovereignly at work doing what he's promised to do. Using my sufferings to display his worth, to his infinite worth, to display his infinite love and to draw people to him. Be encouraged, Colossae. Be encouraged, shades. Have faith that Christ is all you need. Because Christ is sovereign even in your suffering. He'll use it to accomplish His purposes. Your suffering doesn't win. It's not a waste. It's not senseless. He went. Be encouraged. Christ is sovereign over suffering. That's not all Paul shows us. It's not all. That's the why. Why do you rejoice in your sufferings? Well, because Christ is sovereign. He's accomplishing good. All right, I get that. I still want to know how. Like it's one thing for me to go, okay, through my sufferings, I can see, God, you're putting your worth on display. I see that. I love that. I still can't rejoice. How? How's this going to happen? And this is where he points us to the sufficiency of Christ. This is number two. Number one was see Christ's sovereignty over Paul's suffering. Number two, see Christ's sufficiency in Paul's suffering. Y'all still with me? Still together. See Christ's sufficiency in Paul's suffering. Look at verse 28 and 29, right where we left off. Him we proclaim, Christ. Christ we proclaim, Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here's my goal. Here's why I proclaim the gospel. Here's why I go through my sufferings. Here's what I believe God is doing. I want everybody that I'm in contact with, that I'm discipling, to I want to be able to present them to Christ mature. This is my goal. If you're a part of Shades, you call this home. This is membership. Here is, here's what I am not underhandedly, but very overtly trying to do to you. And, and hopefully you to me. I want to teach. I want to warn through the wisdom of this word so that we all grow in maturity in Christ. So that one day when I stand before Christ with you, I can say, here. Here's this small part of your bride, Shades Valley, mature in Christ. Paul says, this is my, my goal. For this I toil. This is what I'm suffering for, agonizing for, struggling for. For this I toil. How, Paul? Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. How do you rejoice in suffering? I am able to rejoice because I'm not doing this in my power. I'm doing it in 
God, stay with me right here. Paul is doing the very thing we've been seeing him call the Colossians to do over the past several weeks. He's living by faith right here. So God has called me to proclaim the gospel. And God has promised, I'll be sufficient in that, Paul, no matter where it takes you. When it lands you in jail, when it gets you beat, when you suffer, I will be sufficient. Here's my will. Do this, Paul. Proclaim the gospel. I promise the power to do it. Paul says, okay, I'm going to believe that promise. I'm going to step out. Paul says, I toil. I struggle. I do this. I engage. I'm not passive. I don't wait for a miracle. I step out and I toil, believing that when I step, he'll provide the power. And Paul says, he does. He does. I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. He promises he'll work his power. I step out in faith and he does it. And Paul steps back and he looks at that. He looks at that. And he says, when I step out in faith, even in suffering, even in struggling, when I suffer, Christ is sufficient. He does what he promises. He provides his power. He provides his presence in the midst of my suffering for me to keep proclaiming the gospel. That's power and presence that Paul would not experience any other way. You catch that. God promises, I'll provide the power for you when you suffer. You're only going to experience it there. That's nice. That's a cool promise. You're not going to experience the power. Paul says, God says, Paul, I'm calling you to preach the gospel. That takes you through suffering. Step into it, Paul. Acts chapter 9, from the moment he's saved, God says, Paul, I'm going to show you how much you will suffer for my sake. Step out into it believing I'll provide the power every step of the way. Paul does. He experiences the power. He wouldn't experience it any other way. His suffering actually causes him to experience more of Christ. Do you see that? I have to depend on him more. I have to trust him more. I have to experience, I experience his sufficiency in a way I otherwise wouldn't. And Paul says, so I rejoice. Because there's nothing, Philippians 3, 8, right? There's nothing more valuable to me than Jesus. So however I got to get more of Jesus, I want it. Even if I have to suffer to get more of him, I want it. Jesus is worth more to me than anything. He's my joy. He says that explicitly in Philippians 3, 8. Let me read it to you again and keep going this time. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everybody likes that part of this verse. Everybody's like, yeah, Jesus is worth more than anything. Paul keeps going. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says, I don't, this isn't a theory for me. 
I don't just think that Christ is worth more than everything else. I actually let everything else be stripped from me. God calls me to share the gospel. I know that means I'm going to lose my freedom. Bring it. Let my freedom be stripped away because I know I'll have to depend on Christ. God calls me into this area. It's going to, it's going to strip away my money, my house, my security. Bring it. I have to depend more on Christ. I get more of Jesus this way. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this as well. Remember, Paul talked about having a thorn in his flesh. He prayed that God would take it away. God says, no, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You're going to get more of me, Paul. If the suffering stays, you're going to get more. You're going to experience more of my grace, more of my power that you wouldn't any other way. And so Paul's response to that is this. He says, therefore, therefore. For I got to find it. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Bring on the suffering so that I get to experience that promised power. Jesus is worth more than anything. If I have to suffer to get more of him, then. Then I'll I'll suffer to get. More of him. Paul says, this is how I rejoice in suffering. Jesus is my joy. Suffering gives me more Jesus. So I have more joy. It's like when my daughter Talitha has learned to walk. And she uses everything as a prop. And eventually we have to start taking props away. Which causes her to fall a lot. Or dead. She's quite sufficient now in walking. But in order to trust the sufficiency of her own two legs, she couldn't have anything else to depend on. Paul says, this is how suffering works. Strips away everything else that I would depend on until I know the sufficiency of Christ. He's my legs. He's what I stand on. How do I rejoice in suffering? Suffering gives me more Jesus. Jesus is my joy. Therefore, I rejoice. Colossae, be encouraged. This is a secure life full of joy. This is a secure life. How? How? Suffering can't even rock this security. That's how secure it is. Suffering can't rock this security because your trust is in the one who's sovereign over suffering. He'll use it however he wills. You're secure right there in the midst of it. This is a life of full joy because suffering can't even rock this joy. Suffering just gives you more of Jesus who is your joy. You don't need what this world offers you, which is false joy and false security. What the false teachers in Colossae are offering, what our culture offers us, is false joy and false security. That the moment suffering comes into your life, it shatters. They offer you a security that shatters when suffering comes. They offer you a joy that shatters when suffering comes. Christ offers you a security that's present in suffering. Offers you a joy that only increases in suffering. True 
joy and security amidst suffering. It's found in the sovereign and sufficient one in Christ, in Christ alone. Christ is all we need. This. This makes sense. No. Yes, be done. Makes sense. Secure joy is not found in safety. That's what the world offers. It's what the false teachers offer. Safety will always be shattered. No one makes it through life safe from suffering. So if that's what you're offered as security and joy, it will shatter. Secure joy is not found in safety. Secure joy is found in the one who can give it to you even amidst suffering. This is not just a theory for me. This is any more than it was for Paul. This is reality. I shared with you that over the past Months, even the past weeks and days, I continue to walk alongside of especially my father and my mother. My parents have shown me this reality that Christ is all I need. Much in the same way that I tried to show Karis, an animatronic dog can't hurt you. I didn't just tell her that. I, standing there in the aisle of Hobby Lobby, I walked over and I picked it up. said, see Karis, it's not just a theory. It's reality. It can't hurt you. This is what my parents have done for me in the last few months. They, they haven't just told me, Jonathan, Christ is sovereign over suffering. He'll use it for his glory. They haven't just said, Christ is sufficient in suffering. He'll use it for your good and your joy. No, it's like they have walked over to the shelf and picked up suffering and said, See, it's not just a theory. It's a reality. I have watched my parents be mocked, lied about, slandered. I have watched them forced out of a community that they called home for 13 years that they loved. I've watched them have to leave their literal house, move out of the city that they lived in for nearly 30 years. I've sat on the phone and been in the presence of my mom as she weeps and of my dad as he as he weeps and in the midst of no job and no home and an uncertain future i've seen the sovereignty and sufficiency of jesus at work in them through tears there is still this deep abiding joy there's a trust and i've watched god sovereignly use their suffering for his glory. I've watched them walk through it in such a way where they don't let go of Jesus. It displays his infinite worth, his infinite love. Christ is sovereign over their suffering, not a moment of it wasted. And he's sufficient in their suffering, sustaining them, sustaining me and my wife every step of the way. Shades, see this. Paul begged Colossae, see this, the sovereignty and sufficiency of Christ in suffering. It's not just a theological theory, it's a reality. B 
be encouraged by it. Be encouraged by Paul, by my parents, by me as your pastor. Christ is all you need in suffering. Therefore, Christ is all you need in everything. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Shades Midweek. We, uh, we do hope that that uh, sermon was encouraging and helpful and uh, know that we will look forward to having all three of us back. Yeah. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to return in full force next week. Or will you still be gone? I, I, I actually will still be gone, but I'm sure that you, okay. you and Brad will be here making fun of me <laughs> like you and I have made fun of him right now. We'll have to figure out something while you're gone. We'll figure out something to Well, do. you'll be here, so the intellectual prowess necessary right. <laughs> to make this happen will be here. Of course. So. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, Shade's Greatest Hits <laughs> uh, coming soon on the compilation disc, compact disc, <laughs> to a Walmart near you. Uh, it's it's going to be remember CDs. It's going to be a twenty-four <laughs> disc set. It's, a tw- <laughs> it, it's it's available for five easy installments of twenty-five ninety-nine. Right. Plus shipping and handling. All of Jonathan's sermons oh from the last word. six years. Well, we do thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek, and we 